a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18. Or anyone who thinks that dating on probation means writing dirty letters to prisoners. Hello all and welcome back to The Smut Drop. This is your weekly roundup to the more eccentric side of sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show I'll be looking at why you should put your partner on probation, chatting odd couples with James Barr and looking at your tales of when opposites attract. If you like what you hear then please rate, review or at least subscribe wherever you get your finest of podcasts and I hope you're ready because I'm about to bring out the handcuffs. Hello, hello, hello dear listener. Okay, quick question. Have you ever put your partner on probation? Okay, well, that sounds like I'm asking some very awkward questions very quickly, Uh, but I'm sure it will come to no surprise that it's got nothing to do with the slammer. It's another dating trend. Yes, the good burgers of TikTok have stumbled onto another way to make dating overcomplicated. Oh, after all, why should dating be about finding love and fun and laughter and finding stuff out? about each other when you can treat it like another fucking job interview. (sighs) (laughs) So under the hashtag three month rule, these Alan Sugar wannabes are taking 90 days to figure out whether to stick or ditch. 90 days. Oh my God. So sex and relationship therapist Kate Moyle, who works with Lilo, has told Metro.co.uk that it's an unwritten contract that sets out the rules and boundaries of what we want in a relationship and states that if we don't get or achieve those things, the relationship will end because of it. It's a short term ultimatum or think of it as a test period. So some couples are using them at the beginning of relationships, you know, when you start dating, uh, kind of look at it as like a as like a job interview. And some couples are using them as ultimatums for relationship endings. Kate says that really we're just giving a name to something that people have been doing already, which is to see how well someone matches up with your needs and expectations. But okay, this does raise a few flags, doesn't it? (laughs) Or is that just me? (laughs) Am I the only one who is thinking, I just don't think that 90 days is enough to get to know someone. And Kate says that the drawback could be that it does make us more critical of our partners. We may focus on the negatives and everything we want to change instead of focusing on what's working and what feels good. In relationships, we need to take some of the rough with the smooth. We need to take some of the negotiation and compromising of our needs and those of our partners at the same time. And our needs may not always be the same. And Kate says that we have to understand that in relationships, things are not always perfect. There is an element of learning how to be in the moment and how to be here and and in the now instead of always focusing on what could be better. 
what do you think? Does does a relationship probation period sound like something you would do? I mean, maybe if it works and you're in a fully fledged relationship because of it, you could get really sexy and do an annual audit or hand out those evaluation forms. Oh, let's get a bit of HR involved. <laughs> I know I've hidden it well, but I'm slightly sceptical of a 90-day time limit. (laughs) But if you want to know more, then head over to the article on metro.co.uk called Is Putting Your Partner on a Probation a Good Idea? But obviously, not before you have listened to this week's chat with my fabulous guest. Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, this week's guest is a DJ, TV presenter and podcast host who's been delivering the lull since 2016 on the award-winning Gay and a Non-Gay podcast. He's an advocate for the LGBTQ community, mental health issues and a lot more, which is all very worthy. But what I really want is all the gossip on what it's like to be a single as fuck gay man in 2023. Please welcome James Barr. Let's not be woke today. Woke's so boring. I'm over it. (laughs) (laughs) I want the gossip. I want the dirt and I want the filth. We are the podcast that's looking up at the gutter, James. So yes, let's go. I'm so excited. This is what I've needed. I've needed this outlet for so long. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are more than welcome. Speaking of outlets, let's talk about dating. The dating scene. Oh my God. Okay. So you are single at the moment, right? Yeah, I am single, babes. I am single. I ended it with my boyfriend of three and a half years at the end of, well, November, actually, beginning of mid Who cares? Who cares? I'm out here. Yeah. I'm out here. I'm in the trenches. I'm in the streets. But this is what I don't get. James, you are like, like I've just said, you are TV presenter, DJ. Well, I haven't done that much TV. I feel like you've been bigged (laughs) up there. I've done like two spots. Like, forget (laughs) that. But thank you. Anyway. No, I need the work, babes. I need the work. I am now paying single tax because I kicked my boyfriend out. And it turns out once you do that, you have to pay double the bills. And the cause he lives has pushed them all up another 25%. So I'm now paying like thousands a month that I didn't have to pay before. And it is awful. It's awful. Hire me. <laughs> I love it when we get to turn the Smut Drop podcast into a into a CV. CV radio. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a CV. I'm just whoring myself out to the highest bidder. I'll take any daddy. Like, I don't care about being on TV. I just need the money. Give me the cashola. Why? What makes it so hard to find a bit of regular dick these days? Oh my God, right? That is actually a really good question. I'm really struggling with that. I've been trying to harvest some regular dick. <laughs> is that the right word? <laughs> and, it is um, now. It, it just sort of runs away from you. Or I develop feelings, which is not useful when you're trying to get the regular dick. Like you don't want the feelings, do you? Because if you start having the feelings, the dick will run away. Like there's nothing that will lose a hard on quicker than feels. But doesn't the, the other dick want to have a bit of feelings as well? Have you met a gay man before? Because no, I'm pretty sure they don't. I mean, there might be someone out there, but I'm definitely struggling. Although the thing is, to be be real, real, I'm not really looking for feels because I've just come out of this big relationship. So I kind of do need a bit of fun, but I'm not that kind of person. So I do start falling. I've so far since my breakup, I've fallen for three different guys. Oh, no. Week to week to week. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm saying that as if like that's the worst thing. No, it's good. It means I'm ready. It means I'm maybe out here and maybe I'm ready for something more now. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy about. But I have had a lot of dicks. <laughs> what are the perils and pitfalls when it comes to the gay dating scene, do you think? I just think we have so much shame. I know that sounds like the Velvet Rage straight jacket, like I'm I'm pulling the library out here, but it is there's a lot of shame. We don't like ourselves we've lived with so much hate it's so boring if you're gay you know this but we've grown up with so much hate that i think we just internalize it and it means makes it hard to love yourself and if you don't love yourself you can't really love someone else and i think that is the main problem with gay dating thank you rupaul but there's there's it's a lot more accessible though like there's still you know a lot of places to go and there's apps and everything like do you think that that helps or do you think that harms it you when it comes to your own self-esteem because I know a lot of my gay friends they're looking at Grinder and it's all very very built guys very you know the tops are off and everything hot yeah exactly hot guys and they're fairly nicely but they're nicely average looking like I would go for them in a heartbeat well that's not love is it I think I think that's that's not dating that's sex apps right like Grinder isn't really yeah. a dating app I'm sure you hear the odd story where someone's met through it and it's really romantic but ultimately Grinder is whole picks and can you accommodate and that's it it's that's what it's for so it is just a load of shirtless hot guys i mean listen I, there's no there's no shame in it i'm all for that i'm one of those guys but um but that's not dating i don't think i think that's just fucking and there's a lot of that don't get me wrong i've been fucking my way around europe since i broke up with my boyfriend i've been catching flights not feels <laughs> and it's been brilliant i've been living but i definitely think that dating is definitely more niche maybe i'm wrong but i feel in my life it's less achievable than dick (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's talk about the podcast gay and a (laughs) non-gay how did that start where did that come from and tell us all about it i think it started because my friend well it started because my friend talia moved abroad to new york and she said could you look after my boyfriend for me and to him she said could you look after my gay friend so we started hanging out we were recording it for a bit of a joke and then it took off i guess neither of us really realized how important it was to have straight friends or allies in our lives i certainly didn't realize the importance of straight allies at that point and now i do see how important that is and it has kind of like changed my life a bit in that i'm a bit more no nonsense i think i was way more ready to have a meltdown before and I would take shit from people because I didn't like myself. I didn't work, I didn't value my own self-worth. And so through a lot of episodes and also therapy on the side, I've managed to get to a point where I won't take shit from people anymore. So my life is a little better for that. And I think that's one of the many powers of an ally, really, to show you that you deserve better. You deserve a life where you don't get frightened to walk down the street just because you're gay. How has it helped that it's come from a straight ally, from a straight plutonic man? Like, Yeah, it's a straight white man, let's be specific, because I think that's important. Um, he has so much privilege. He has all the privilege. He doesn't have to worry about what he looks like. He doesn't think about whether he should put something in his hair or what outfit to wear today or whether there's a stain on his trousers. Like, He doesn't give a shit. He's just happy existing, living his life grabbing opportunities if someone doesn't respond to an email he thinks they're a dick whereas if i send an email and someone doesn't respond i think oh god they i'm awful uh, i must be so rubbish 
but he has this like absolute power of confidence that evades some of the queer community because we're told we're shit so uh, that's what i'm trying to harness i'm trying to trying to like steal some of that sweet sweet straight privilege (laughs) (laughs) what is he stolen from you um i don't know i get i wouldn't say fashion i don't think i think that's clear (laughs) what has he stolen from you'd have to ask him i I think he's learned a lot about the gay community so he's very educated on the lgbtq plus experience and so that has made him probably a more rounded human with a better experience of life and awareness of his social privilege so what was it like when you first started? Because I'm guessing that he wasn't he wasn't homophobic. It wasn't like, oh, I don't know why I've been I'm with this gay man. It was he was someone who was I'm um, someone who's willing to learn and wants to learn and the same as as you. So what was it like when you both first met and started compared to now? I just think he had he had no idea of the nuances of being a gay person. He's, his whole life experience of gays was just making jokes about gays, not in a homophobic way. Although there was an incident at school once where they pushed a friend into a bush, which to me sounds a bit like gay conversion therapy, like 2.0. So I don't know if um, if, if he was or not. And, and it depends ne- on what kind of bush. Right, and he'll never tell me. Um, he always claims he's not been homophobic and that he's been very much for human rights across the board. And I do, I do believe him because... Yeah, I guess I don't have a choice, but <laughs> he's never been homophobic to me at all. But we'll joke about it and I'll be like, that's homophobic or, or whatever. But we've just challenged each other the whole way through. Yeah. So you've got loads of different guests from loads of different backgrounds. What has been some of the things that you've learned from them that you've really like taken to your heart and, mo- and used IRL? I mean, we had a conversation with Chaz Bono about JK Rowling and Chaz Bono is Cher's transgender son. Um, and that was pretty amazing, learning about how that feels as Chaz is and was a Harry Potter fan. And mm-hmm. I think that was a very interesting conversation. Um, we chatted to this guy who would describe himself as an ex-white supremacist. And it's a really triggering conversation because he's so open about what he went through and what he did to people as a white supremacist. Um, it's not an easy listen, but he does say that he now spends his life talking to talking people out of extreme right wingism and extremism and um and he talked us through how he does that and and he said something really important which i think i've taken on board which is that you can't win an illogical debate with an illogical person Mm. so a lot of the time there's no point really trying to win that debate but it's about trying to understand why they feel the way they feel and the way they're acting and try to understand the root problem for the outburst that they're having so you know why they're channeling their hate at a certain community rather than worrying about arguing the specifics. So whenever I see anyone throwing shit at the LGBT community or the T community specifically right now, for example, I always think like, what's going on with you specifically that means you have to make that person the enemy? What's going on there? And it's the same. We've seen this for years, generations. It's gay people, black people, refugees, um, Europe. There's always some enemy that's trying to steal our jobs or our ruin our children and it's all nonsense and we're all just try- everyone's just trying to block something else out how can we approach them though like what would be the best way if you're if you're being attacked by someone who is of that kind of mindset then what kind of things have you learned 
that you would say you could put in practice to approach that person? I would just say don't engage to an extent. I think it, unless you really need to, there's really no point in engaging in it um, unless you feel powerful enough. I think just carry on being, in fact, probably just turn up your queerness, right? That's what I do. I just get more gay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send nudes to these people. I had this guy message me, all this homophobic crap about me going to hell because I made a joke online about God being gay and um, like whatever. And um, yeah, he sent me all this like religious hate. And I was like, okay, babes, do you want a whole pick? Because you sound a bit thirsty. I just think, <laughs> go for it. Just go just be more gay. <laughs> a whole pick. That is. It wasn't mine. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're thinking about asking. <laughs> was it Dan's? Are you saying you said Dan's? Oh. <laughs> no. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> So, okay, so let's talk, because I love the fact that you talk so openly about your dating experience, because this started with a show you did in 2019? Yes, my stand-up show when I dated the audience. Yeah, that was fun. Yes! What was that like? It was great. I went through a lot of guys. Um, I mean, it was obviously insane. You can't just pull people up on stage and ask them to marry you, but I did for a good year or so with that show. It was was very fun. Um, I loved it. Did you follow through with any dates? So you dated people during the show, but did you get their number after? Yeah, I did take... I mean, I did sleep with a few of them, yes. Um, (laughs) If that's what you're getting at. But no significant other from it. Oh. But still, you got some showbiz dick. So that's something. Is that showbiz dick? Well, you were the showbiz. They were the dick. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Good. (laughs) You've got to get something. I think all I've ever got from... Edinburgh was a debt, so you're doing well. Yeah, well, I've got that too. <laughs> so, would you do another show now that you're single again? Would you reprise the role of th- that particular? That's an interesting thought. I actually hadn't even considered that. I don't know. I'm really enjoying. I think with that show, if I'm honest, it was my first time doing stand up, and it was easier not to write an an entire hour. So, dating the audience meant I could improvise some of it, and it gave me. Mm. 30 minutes of material 40 minutes of written and a good 20 minutes or longer to just have fun and so I don't know if I need to do that now my last show straight jokes which I'm doing on tour this month in April um is just stand up it's just back to back straight lad jokes um for straight people and uh, (laughs) I'm really enjoying that and I think with my next shows that I do because I'm just going through this breakup it's all a bit too soon to touch on my trauma um, so I'm going to do some very relaxed work in progress gigs for the next year and then go back to Edinburgh with a bigger show in 2024. I don't know what that will look like yet, though. I haven't really had a chance to think about it, but maybe maybe I could date the audience. Yeah. What made you do a show for straight jokes then? I just feel like straight comedians are allowed to make gay jokes all the time. And I've been told my whole career, you're too gay. Um, I was working on the radio station they told me I was too camp so you know I've had that was this when you <laughs> you worked for a gay radio set that's what I don't understand no I worked for a straight I worked for a big national straight radio station um and when I was there I was told can you be less camp and I was also like I sent an email from my boss saying can you not describe Britney songs as fierce there was a lot of homophobia really so having had that and and, and also experienced that exact same thing throughout my life. I decided 
that maybe I should just be straight. So I've marketed myself as a straight comedian for the show. Uh, and I'm out there <laughs> pleasing my straight audiences and they love it. And it's very oi oi, uh, very lads on tour. Uh, it is actually very gay, if, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, I just, I realized Dave Chappelle, Ricky Gervais, they're all making these jokes about gay people. They make jokes about trans people. They make jokes about AIDS, like all the stuff that affected and affects our community. And no one's telling them to be less gay. Yeah. They're applauded for, for doing these jokes. So I thought, well, why is that? Okay, if they're allowed to make gay jokes, but a gay person can't. Um, so that's what my show is about this time. Yeah. And I'm currently, yeah, I'm on tour doing that. JamesBarcomedy.com. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely plug. Very nice. Thank you. Very important. Ticket sales are a nightmare. <laughs> that's the worst part of it, isn't it? Anyway, okay, so... What would be your advice for... So we like on this podcast to give advice for newbies, baby queers, baby gays coming out. And your coming out experience sounded quite traumatic. And I, you, don't have to, you don't have to go into it, but it wasn't... You weren't completely accepted, it sounds like, first of all. So do you have any experience of people who are worried about coming out to their family and to their friends? I think that you need to come out to yourself first. And once you're comfortable with who you are, you've got a chance to then speak to the people around you. I'd wait until you're fully comfortable with who you are first. And then it's just about remembering that your family and your friends might not be ready because you've taken a while to come to terms with who you are and they might as well. And I think that's OK. It's OK to give them some space to figure it out, too. Um, we can quickly jump to homophobia or transphobia. And that's valid when it's valid. But. Maybe sometimes also it's okay to just give people a little bit of space. And I know that sounds really counterproductive because actually I should be saying, fuck you, I'm queer. And that's sort of what I did. But I think looking back, actually, it's not necessarily, it's not that shocking, I suppose, that my mum had an idea in her head of what I would end up, what my narrative would be, right? She's made up this, she's got all these dreams and hopes and aspirations because of what society has been feeding everyone. And I've gone against that. So... Yeah, I think it's okay to give people a little bit of time. And what about if when they when they're looking to go onto the dating scene, like if Grinder is more about just finding a bit of dick and something, where where would be a good place to start if you're just looking for love and companionship? Oh, I mean, I think a, a, a <laughs> yoga class, like a queer book club. Um, I think apps are just such a waste of time yeah. the thing with apps is you don't know the other person so you don't really respect them i know that sounds bad but it kind of is true and i think that's why we get so upset all the time by it people aren't going to reply to you because they've never met you they don't know who you are why would they waste their time we have so many distractions and so much noise now i honestly think real life is the most important way of meeting someone um especially if you want to form a real connection and you can do that online definitely but it's a lot harder I mean, you're not going to meet someone. I'd really hope you wouldn't meet someone at a queer book club and they'd flash you a whole pic within two seconds of you meeting them. <laughs> they might if you want them to, perhaps. <laughs> but you're going to have a much more meaningful conversation. So I would say get out there and try and meet people in safe spaces. Yeah. And what about like if you have you ever interviewed anyone that you wanted to get their number or like, you know, just just. Maybe someone like Penn Badgley, maybe someone. I mean, everyone. Yeah. Well, he's obviously married. She mentioned within about one minute of me meeting him, he knew. <laughs> I feel that, yeah, everyone really. 
Um, basically everyone. I mean, I'm a slut for fame, so I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not proud. I did fall in love. With, I mean, I fell in love with Ollie Alexander every time I've interviewed him. Oh. Um, so yeah, he's amazing. Just such a great person as well. Such yeah. a good person. Um, but no, I haven't actually done that. I haven't actually like reached out to anyone and given them my number in a in a sexy way. But there's definitely still time for Ollie Alexander. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely would, but not really for the fame. I just think we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'd love? We need a place in the world where if you've had like therapy or two years of therapy or you've read a couple of books on it, that you get like a tick that's like this person's done the work. That's what I need. I need a, a done the work tick. Yeah, like The Sims. If you could just see their little bobble above their head and it was all like, yeah. say, 80% green where they'd done the work on themselves and you just think, oh, there we go. You're my little Ulamatar. Yeah. Right. I did one of the, I did go on a date the other day and I literally did ask, like, how much, have you had any therapy? And he was like, yeah, I've had four years. Tick, great. We're, I'm ready to go. Like, let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> Would you try Raya? I'm not interested in Raya. Oh, my God. It must be so awful in there. I've seen screenshots and stuff and it's the one where you have to be added. You have to be vetted. Right. And you have to pay them. I'm not going to pay them to waste my time. Yeah, exactly. No, someone on the we had someone on the podcast and they were like there was like no celebs. And it was all people who were basically hedge fund managers and estate agents. Oh, like, God. oh, boring. Although, mm, maybe. <laughs> but they might have the dollar dollar bills. That's right, that's always yeah. quite handy. That would don't that have would to worry be... about your twenty five percent single tax then. That would be useful. Okay, I'm going to join. If you could uh, refer me, that would be great. Thank you. <laughs> if people want to find out more information, where can they find you, James? They can go to jamesbarcomedy.com or they can check out Again and Non Gay, our podcast on all podcast platforms, and they can follow. I'm James Barr or Gay on Gay on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Lovely. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I have once again delved into my fun bags. Come on, the best bit of the week. And this week I asked for your odd couple stories. Have two wrongs made something oh so right? Did your opposites attract? Well, Tim on Insta, he says, when people ask me how I met my husband, I love getting to say, I was a punk, he did ballet, what more can I say? Oh, <laughs> guess the tune, people. What a banger. Oh, he did ballet. Oh my God, Tim, did you fall on or for his cod piece? Uh, anyway, Tim goes on to say, Tim says he's a classically trained dancer and I led him astray when we were emo kids in the 90s. He's a choreographer on the West End now, but the closest I got to rocking on MTV is a bit of Avril Lavigne on karaoke. <laughs> oh, I really hope that was your first song at your wedding. Please. Uh, Kathy, she says, my best friend's a vegan, very nerdy academic, seemingly allergic to people and the outside world. And I'm all about a steak followed by a bottomless brunch and singing along with drag queens. 
<laughs> that is very different. Um, but Kirsty says, I love that she's so different because God knows I only need one person like me in my life. That is a great way of looking at it, Cassie. I know how you feel. Uh, Femme Fatale mm, on Twitter, they DM'd me to say, I'm fairly certain my parents hated each other, had a hate fuck, which summoned yours truly from the eternal void and then went back to hating each other again. <laughs> they had a hate fuck. They summoned yours truly from the eternal... They summoned yours truly from the eternal... Vo Brilliant. Brilliant. Well done, Femme Fatale. She'll now be describing it as being summoned rather than my birthday. Great job. Next week, I will be chatting to glamour model turned sports presenter extraordinaire Amy Christophers. We're going to be chatting about one hell of a career pivot as well as her time on Married at First Sight. So I want you to tell me all your stories of a major change. Did you change lanes and discover some surprising transferable skills? Let me tell you, going from sex work into stand-up comedy... I found I could always tell when my hour on stage was up. <laughs> tell me everything. You can find me on Instagram. It's Miri Kane, M-I-R-I-K-A-N-E. You can slide into my DMs or email smutdrop at metro.co.uk. I've been Miranda Kane. Smutdrop was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. If you're enjoying this weekly audit of your sex life, then please leave me a nice review. In the meantime, I'm going to be back to prick up your ears next week. And remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do. But if you do, then name it after me.